Okay, so last week we had a lot of fun working out who wrote the book of James. Can anybody remember who it was? James. Well done. <laughs> Double start at Ian. There we go. That's me done. <laughs> Can anybody remember a little bit more information than James? It wasn't James, son of Alphaeus. It was not James, son of Alphaeus. Definitely not. <laughs> I missed what you said then, Phil. He's in Egypt. It wasn't James, James, James's, look, John's brother James, was it one of the apostles? It, who's got it? Wait a second. What was it? Can you say it? The James or Jesus' brother. Yeah. Well Jesus' is last brother, James. So if I, if I was to write a letter, the, the letter of James, I might well start by saying James, or Pete in my case, Pete, half-brother of Jesus, you know, uh, and yeah, like we, we grew up together, we had all these wonderful times together, but James doesn't even mention it at all. He says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He recognises Jesus as Lord. But yet, throughout the letter, we see this really strong emphasis on my brothers, my brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters. And he's, he's, so James is one of the leaders of the Jerusalem church. And he's, as we found out last week, he's writing to the Jews who have been dispersed, the Christian Jews who have been dispersed due to persecution, etc. Uh, and he, in many respects, he's writing about maturity. When you think about it, this hadn't really occurred to me before, in terms of actually born-again Christianity, being born-again Christians, the church is a baby at this point. It was only about 15 years, maybe less, after Jesus was crucified that this letter was written. And so it makes sense that James is writing about, okay, what, what does it mean? What does it look like to grow in maturity, to grow in this together? And James, by always referring to, to them as brothers, he's saying, like, like, I'm, not, I'm not above you. I'm, I'm on level pegging with you. Like we, we are servants of Christ together. As Jesus was the servant, shepherds, who laid his life down. James is saying, these are things we need to work through together. So if you have your Bibles with you, it will come up on the screen. Can you turn to James 1, verse 2 to 12? Okay. So I'm just going to read through these verses. So it says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. It's not really what you'd like to hear at the start of a letter, is it? For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, and its flowers fall, and its beauty perishes. So also will a rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. To trials. What are trials? Trials are like hardships. They're like difficulties. And sometimes, when one person is going through a trial, someone else could go through that same thing and it not be a trial to them, if that makes sense. Like actually, depending on where we're at, where we're at in life, what other things are going on, how we're wired, how we think, and different things like that, what can be a trial to one person is not necessarily a trial to someone else. And trials can actually be a bit sneaky. They can actually sneak up on us. Or rather, we can fall into them. So interestingly, the words where it says, when you meet trials, the word meet can literally be translated as fall into. So when you fall into trials of various kinds. So various kinds. James isn't specifically limiting the trials here to specific things. And we see throughout the letter, there's actually quite a number of trials he talks about. But he's keeping it general here, so that we understand that what he's talking about here is for any trial that we go through. Any difficulty that we go through. So it could be something to do with our health. Maybe we're, we've we're unwell with something, or maybe we're suffering with some sort of health issue. It could be to do with relationships. It could be friendships at school. It could be maybe someone in your class that you you were close to, you've now fallen out with, or you you don't know why that person isn't talking to you anymore, or why they're not being nice to you anymore, or something like that. It could be due to poverty. It could be just don't have enough money to actually get by every day. Their, Their sums don't add up. It could be to do with injustice, conflict, grief, or anything else that isn't pleasant. It's easy to think of the really big things, but they can be really small, really small as well. They are, but the interesting thing with trials is actually, we do get some trials we face with joy. So, take a footballer for example, Say you really love football, you love playing it, you play it at school, you play for the school team, etc. And then suddenly you get offered trials for a big club. Okay? What do you, are you like, oh no, I don't want to do that, that's scary. Or is the footballer really excited and like, wow, okay, yeah, okay, it's going to be hard, it's going to be difficult, I'm going to have to do my best, it's going to challenge me and I'm, I'm going to grow through it. But, but it, there's, there's this joy there because of what, because of the reward, because of what's ahead, if that makes sense. There's a joy because of what the end might be. And so often, it's the end of things. It's the same with athletes, athletes when they, athletes when they go to trials. They face it with joy. Maybe when they're running the race in the trials, they might not look joyful, they might not look overly happy, but actually, they, they've gone into that race with joy, knowing that actually there is a reward to come through this perseverance and through this trial, if you get through it well. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So blessed, truly happy... It's the person, the man or the woman, any of us, child or adult, that remains steadfast under trial. So what does steadfast mean? It it means to be fixed in place. It means to be immovable. Some of you might remember 
one of the weeks in the summer we looked a little bit at the armour of God and we looked at the, the importance of putting on the armour of God and standing firm and not moving. But really interestingly, the, the root of the word steadfast in Old English, the word that was before, like the word came from, specifically word to warriors who stood their ground in the battlefield. They were immovable on the battlefield. So steadfastness isn't passive. It's not going through a trial with, with being passive, not, not engaging. But actually, there is, it's an active standing. It's when trials come, there's a way that we need to respond. There's a way we need to respond. There's something we need to do. So there's a call for us to remain steadfast, immovable in trials. And when we have stood the test, we will receive the crown of life. There is a reward coming. There is honour coming. There's honour, and I mean, sometimes I, I think we can struggle to get our head around this, but, but not only is the way we live all about honouring God and bringing glory to him, but God actually wants to bestow honour and glory on us. And actually, there's this, this crown, this crown that, that one day, at the end of life, we won't be weighed down by the trials and the hardships, we'll be weighed down by the crown that's sitting on our heads. We're called to rule and reign with Christ. There is a, so there's this reward of honour and glory and abundant life for those who live a life of love for God. So verse 12 says, For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. God hasn't promised it to those that earn it. It's not a promise to you be steadfast and then because of your steadfastness, because of the way you've acted, you will get the crown of life. But that, that is part of it. But actually, it's, it's a working out of love. Oh, do we love God? Or are we living our lives based on love for him and following him? It's really interesting in verse 2 where it says that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the words here for testing only appears three other places in scripture. And two of those three times, it refers to the process of refining silver or gold, or purifying silver or gold to get rid of the dross, to get rid of the impurities, so that it, 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 so that it is pure, so that it does what it's meant to do, so that it's at its utmost value, so that it's at the strongest it can be. The trials we meet, God uses them to refine our faith by his grace. So whether we're Christians or whether we're not Christians, we all go through trials in life. We all face difficulties. We, Jesus is so clear that if we become a Christian, it's not with the mindset of life's going to be fine and easy from now on. But it's like, actually, you know, if, if you follow me, as the world's rejected me, the world will reject you too. But... Remember Romans 8.28, it says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Okay? And God, in the way of his love and mercy outworked, things that come and affect us, and some trials will be our own fault. Sometimes we make silly decisions. Sometimes it will be because of sin in our lives and we do doing silly things like that. Other times, it is literally, we just fall into it for no, no obvious reason at all. Sometimes it's just we live in a fallen world. 
Sometimes it is the enemy, Satan, is coming and is like, I don't want you to grow into all God has for you. So really interesting. Um, someone I know that's really prophetic said to me, the biggest struggle they have in all their life is with fear. And why is that? Well, the gift of prophecy is looking to the future. Fear is based on the future. So what better way for the enemy to stop him from operating on what God has for him than to fill him with fear about the future? And for all of them, it's a bit sneaky really, I think I've said this before, I think it's Wendy Mann says this, that um, if, there's a certain enemy, so if there's a certain area of your life which you're always really struggling with, so it might, there's, always, there's always a certain fear there, maybe it's about speaking to people, maybe it could be about to do with bringing prophetic words, maybe it could be about helping people or something like that, but quite often the area where you struggle most is the area where God most wants to use you. And the enemy's just like, well, no, no, I don't want God to use you in that area because I see the good that will come. And so he comes and gets at you. He comes and brings trials and hardships. But it's funny, isn't it? Because the very thing that the enemy uses, and I'm not saying every trial is from him, but the very thing he uses to try and make you stumble and fall, God uses to refine you and to make you stronger and to make you shine more brightly. James instructs his brothers and sisters, Christians, those who believe in Jesus and follow him, to count it all joy when you meet trials. Why? Janet, you want to bring up verse 3 to 4 again? So, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So count it all joy. So think of it all as joy. He's, He's not telling us to be falsely happy. He's not saying... I think sometimes we come across Christians who maybe feel the need that they have to be happy and joyful in all things and all circumstances. And maybe you just want to give him a hug and say, it's okay that it hurts. It's okay, like actually the Bible tells us, doesn't it? Weep with those that weep. Okay? We, we don't have to put on this facade. It's not about a facade. But it says, count it all as joy, for you know. Oh, it's because we know something. There's a reason why we can count it all as joy. Because we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness. And steadfastness, have it, have it, let it have its full effect. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. So it, it's talking about spiritual maturity here. It's talking about actually, if you view the fact that trials and hardships come in, if you, if you see them, that actually God will use them to refine you and cause you to be stronger and to stand more clearly for him and to become more and more Christ-like. The Bible says we're being renewed day by day for his glory. Hallelujah. If, if we see trials in that way and hardships in that way, there is joy to be found. There is joy to be found. I'm going through a bit of a, a hard season at the moment. Um, so about a month ago, I can't share too much really, but about a month ago I felt God say to me, you're about to hit a storm. Is that great? Um, so I kind of started praying about it. The very next day, I think it was three things happened that hit me really hard, just to do with things going on in church life and things like that. It's just like, oh, God, this is hard. Then the next day, 
my daughter was on a trampoline and hurt her leg. And we had to take her to, a, uh, to A&E, and we were, not to A&E, sorry, to minor injuries to get her looked at. Because usually when a child hurts themselves and they stop crying and there's something they really want to go and do somewhere, and you say, go, go, go to that. They trot off happily, don't they? And she took one step and was like, oh, I can't walk on it. And she's like, actually, okay, we need to go get this checked out. And then there's been numerous different things that have gone on since then. And I'm, I'm in a storm right now. I'm in a storm right now and it is hard. And do you know what? Some days I'm crying. Some days I'm like, God, I love the fact that your peace is here. And I'm kind of like, it's a battle. It's a battle to, to put the armour of God on daily and to stand firm. And even last night I was saying to Alex, I just, oh, I just need the peace of God. I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling. And I realised the reason why I'm struggling right now is to do with fear. So Ezra this week had, poor boy, it was unwell. I was looking at eyes at them, thinking, here's Ezra, they do look so similar. <laughs> Ezra's over there. Uh, so I was at work on Monday, so as well as working for the church, I'm a gardener. Uh, I got a phone call saying, uh, Ezra's unwell at school, can you go pick him up? I was halfway through mowing someone's lawn. So I was like, I can't really leave your lawn half mowing. Thankfully, Lucy, this is a wonderful thing being part of the community, isn't it? Um, Lucy went and picked Ezra up for me so I could at least finish the lawn and then ended up having to have the next two days off work. In the natural, there's no way at the moment I can see how I can make up the time, okay? And I've already, I managed to work some extra church hours last week vaguely around Ezra because I could kind of do that at home. But he was feeling a lot better by day two, even though I wasn't allowed in for 48 hours. So I kind of had to, I had to be there for him and I loved the time with him. But actually, it was a trial, it was a hardship, and even now, looking forwards, if I'm not careful, I let the burden crush me and make me really worry of, God, I don't know how I'm literally going to get through the next few weeks with actually getting done everything I need to get done. And yet, suddenly I realised, wait a second, I'm being really fearful here, I'm letting fear control me. And so I said, okay, God, fear not, for you are with me. God, I choose to fear not, for you are with me. I thank you that I'm precious in your eyes and honoured, and you love me. It says, fear not, for you have redeemed me. You have called me by name. I am yours. I know you've, a lot of you have heard me chant these verses off a lot recently. Or it also says, do you not know? Or, sorry. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So fear not, for I will help you. Okay, actually, God, suddenly I felt at peace. I was like, I've stood firm, I've put on the arm of God. You know, it's interesting, I shared this with someone else in the week. In Romans, where it talks about put on the arm of light, it says, clothe yourself in Christ Jesus and make no provision for the flesh. It's like, I was making provision for the flesh, I was making room for the enemy to come and get in my thinking. And actually, now, okay, I'm not massively joyful thinking about this heart, but how I'm going to work out the next few weeks and get through them. Okay, that, that isn't joy, but actually I can be joyful saying, God, I thank you that you're using this to grow me. I thank you that you are with me in it. I thank you that I can know your peace in it. And do you see the difference? So I could get through the next few weeks, and potentially I could get through it on my own and get it all done and, hey presto, breathe a sigh of relief. But if I run it in my own strength, I'm going to end up tired and weary. Whereas God says, those who wait upon me, those who come to me and wait upon me, will run and not get weary. 
okay, what does it look like? What does it look like for me to do these next few weeks from the place of prioritising waiting upon him, of prioritising walking in his strength? And the wonderful thing, the promise in Scripture, is if we serve in the strength that he supplies, he will be glorified in all things. It's a life of worship in all things at all times. Should probably come back to my sermon. Um, okay, so, as I said, James is not instructing his brothers and sisters to, or us to rejoice in the trials, but in the rewards. Are we looking to the rewards? Trials are hard, but the reward is great. We live for the joy set before us. Does that remind you of someone? Someone else who lived for the joy set before them? It says in Hebrews, doesn't it, that Jesus went to the cross for the joy set before him. When Jesus went to the cross, did he have a big smile on his face? Was he really happy? Or did he, did he sweat blood because he was... He, he realised the gravity of what he was going through. But he, he, he also saw the joy set before him. Now don't get me wrong, that doesn't mean every hardship we go through, we can't know joy in it, if that makes sense. We, we count it joy, we know, because we know that God is going to work this out for our good, because he loves us, and because we love him, we can face the trials with joy. We can count it as joy. Think of it as joy. But also, there will be times where there's really hard stuff going on. We see Paul in prison, and what does he do? He celebrates, he praises, and the chains fall off. I don't imagine in that moment he felt God say to him, praise me now, and the chains will fall off and you'll walk free. But, but there is something worthy. Sometimes trials will come, hard trials, and you recognise it's because of your faith, and you actually count yourself, wow, I'm worthy to suffer as Jesus suffered. And do you know what? That mindset sounds so foreign to us, doesn't it? But it's something I know I want to grow in. Because the thought of suffering, the way Jesus suffered, is really uncomfortable. <laughs> I don't really want to do it. But, yeah, it's possible. It's possible to face things in that way, to trust God in that way. Because the reality is, I think, that if we have a clearer picture of God, of who he is and what he's doing, that is what's going to change the way we live more, if that makes sense. So often, I think we can be scared of things because we're not actually seeing it from God's perspective and who God is. We're doubting him. So, let's not be falsely happy, but let's count it as joy. Think of joy because we're looking to the reward when trials come. So our, our eyes aren't so much on the trials. Do you know what our ultimate reward is? It's Jesus. It's eternal life with him. And what does it say in Hebrews? Fix your eyes on him that you may not grow tired or weary. Let's fix, let's be a people that fix our eyes on Jesus. Let's, I mean, it's funny actually, the first few weeks of the trial, off a storm for me, that's been going on recently, actually I did a pretty good job of fixing my eyes on Jesus. And actually I just realised recently, I've allowed my eyes to fall to other things. And actually, no, 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 God, you've been speaking to me loads about looking to you, fixing my eyes upon you. And that's where endurance, steadfastness comes from and allows me to stand. And just one other thing to share there would be just don't 
think you have to do it alone. Okay? I think the tendency is, I think particularly even for someone like me who's in leadership, is I have to look like I'm there. I have to look like I've got it sorted. But no, no, I, I don't actually. Actually, I welcome prayer. I welcome people standing with me. A great example of that was Moses, wasn't it? When, when he had his staff in the air, Joshua with the people of Israelites, I can't remember, was it against Amalekites or something like that? Um, they were winning the battle. And when his arms came down, they were losing the battle. So those who were around him stood with him, held up his hands, and they won the battle. So God, God, God could have just done it with a click of his hand, but God wants to work through us in community. We stand together, we pray together. Prayer is so important here. Prayer is so key. And that's actually what we're moving on to now. So, from verse 5, it says, If any. I'll let it come up. Is right to put it on the screen, Jan? So, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Okay, that, that's, that's prayer, isn't it? Talk to God. Okay, if you, if you lack wisdom. So, it's interesting, you can notice there. Just before we got there, it might be on the screen, yeah. So, perfect to complete, lacking in nothing. Okay, we're not there at full maturity yet. We're lacking things still. So if you do lack anything, there is something to do about it. We pray. Let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith, with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. This is the bit that I struggled with. I thought, even up to yesterday, writing this sermon, I thought that this was going to be the easy bit to talk on. Actually, this is the bit that has challenged me most. Um, it's easy to read that, particularly the bit about, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. I've just always taken that, and sorry, children, this isn't the easiest word for you to understand, but I've always kind of took it as like an intellect thing. As it's just okay, like actually, no, God has said it. Do I do I believe it? And what's what's really struck me is actually if you look at the nuances of the Greek, the, the word used for doubt and the words for double-minded, it's actually talking about someone who has split loyalties. Okay, it's a person who is not fully committed to live in one way. They want to follow God and the world's ways. They're not, they're not fully trusting God. Sam Albury is really helpful here. He says, they ask God for wisdom, but they keep looking over their shoulder to see if anyone else has a better offer. They check out what the Bible says, but they also check out what the wisdom of the world says. I'll read it again. They all ask God for wisdom, but they keep looking over their shoulder to see if anyone has anything better to offer. They check out what the Bible says, but they also check out what the wisdom of the world says. Are we fully devoted to God and following Him? Or do we have split loyalties? Oh, that hit me hard. I was like, wow. Okay, so God will generously, to all that ask for wisdom, and I know I need wisdom, God will generously give it. There's, there's no reproach, there's no holding back. If you ask in faith, he'll generously, generously pour it out. But 
what, what's the reason behind what you're asking? But actually, is it, is it that actually, firstly, is it even godly reasons why you're asking for the wisdom? Is it things that the world you want to pursue? Or actually, oh, are, there, are there things where, where you're like, okay, actually, I'm just, I need wisdom, so I'm going to look to God for it. I'll ask him, I trust him. That it says, I mean, I think it's later on in James, it says, even the devil believes that Jesus is God's son. Okay, so even the devil believes that if you ask God in faith, he will give you wisdom. It's not just enough to believe it. We have to fully be devoted to him. And we see it's a process, don't we, though? Because we're made mature over time. The Bible's really interesting. There's these tensions all through it. And it's the fact that I am saved now. By putting my faith and trust in Jesus, I am saved now. The Bible is 100% clear. It's also 100% clear that I am being saved. And it's also 100% clear that one day I will actually be saved. It's like... But it all goes together, and you have to hold those tensions. It's like, actually, no, no, I am saved now. God will, God will, will hold me. He will not let me go. He will keep me to the end. But actually, I'm being saved. He's transforming me on a daily basis to be more like him. And one day, I will be saved. It will be fully there, and I will see him and be like him. So look at the fruit of a person who doubts or is double-minded. Look at the fruit of it. It's someone who doesn't receive anything from the Lord. It stops us receiving things from him. And someone who is unstable in all their ways. It reminds me back of Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who delights in the word of the Lord day and night. Okay, What's he? He's like a, he's like a, he's like a tree that's planted by streams of water, yields its fruit in season, leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Not like the chaff, but the wind blows away. I mean, that tree, by the streams of water, is going to hit winds, isn't it? But what happens to trees when wind hits them, when they're young and when they're growing up and through? They get stronger. Okay, if you stake a tree, if you put a new tree in the ground, if you stake it too high up so that it can't move in the wind, it will grow so big and get to the point that one day the wind will cause it to fall over. Okay. But actually, if you stake a tree in the right way, so it's lower down and it can move a bit in the wind, actually, over a few years, you adjust the stake so it's even less supported by it, it puts down stronger roots, deeper roots, being able to draw more, and it stands, and then it can grow to a bigger size and stand the storms and stand the wind of life. So the man that trusts God, the, one, the man that isn't double-minded, that it's interesting, the literal words there in the Greek is two souls or divided soul. The, man, the person that's fully living for God, that's the person that, that in trials God will use to produce steadfastness. They will be a, a warrior. They will be someone who is immovable on the battlefield. They will be someone who receives the crown of life. And because the crown is coming, we have our eyes on the prize. We have our eyes on that. We know that we will receive the crown of life. So it's not just about what we believe. But it's about are our loyalties divided. Janet, can you bring up Psalm 139, please? 
So this is Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. So it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any grievous way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. We can live our life by saying, God, if there's anything I need to change, just highlight it at some point. Or we can be like the psalmist, and not every, not every day, we don't go digging, but every now and then we just say, we pray this prayer. Every now and then we say, God, search my heart. Search me, know my heart. Try me, know my thoughts. See if there's any grievous way in me, and lead me in the everlasting way. Lead me in the way of life. And so, I just encourage you, if you're happy, can you stand with me now? I'd love us to pray this together. And parents, if it feels appropriate, you can pray with your children as well. just want to do is allow the Holy Spirit room just to say to us are there things where we are have split loyalties to God? Is Jesus fully on the throne? Are we fully following him? Right? Are there things that God wants to address? So let's just read this together. Search me O God and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. I just encourage you just to be still for a moment and just listen to see if God just wants to highlight anything to you. encourage you to, uh, to amen it in your heart. If you, if you know that there is something that was just highlighted to you and you're willing to, to pray it, just, just amen it in your heart. And it's, just, it's just simple, but have that thing in your mind. So, God, I'm sorry for going my own way. I choose to follow you wholeheartedly now. Lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. Help us, as a community, live lives of complete love and devotion to you. Amen. I just encourage you, if, if there are things which you feel like God's highlighted you and you're just like, actually, I need, I need to work this out with someone. Find someone who you know to be more spiritually mature than you or someone you know to be mature who you can share these things with, pray them through. God, God is a God of freedom, okay? And he says that I've come to set you free and give you abundant life. And he also says that who the sun sets free is free indeed. And if you're looking for a place to start, God says, if you abide, if you dwell in my word, you are truly my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That's a promise from God. It is a promise, that's truth, okay? So if there are things in your heart now that you know just need addressing,
go to God, go to the scriptures, but also we are instructed, and this is one of the harder things actually, to confess our sins to one another. And actually sometimes that's the thing that's needed to break something. So I just encourage you, if that's something you need to do in the coming days and weeks, please do that.